0: Welcome to Ideas at the House, a podcast featuring talks and ideas from the Sydney Opera House. I'm your host, Frank Newman, Creative Learning Specialist. This episode is part of a three-part podcast series featuring conversations curated by influential Finnish educator Pasi Salberg. Professor Pasi Salberg is an educator and author. He has worked as a schoolteacher, teacher-educator, researcher and policymaker advising schools and education system leaders, including the World Bank, Finland's Ministry of Education and Culture and Harvard University. He is the recipient of numerous prestigious awards and his many publications inspire teachers and education system leaders around the world. Now the Professor of Education Policy at Southern Cross University, Parsi has a particular interest in the role of play in education and increasingly wants to reframe how we understand health, play and creativity in learning. In this, the final episode in our three-part series of Conversations About Education, curated by Professor Parsi Salberg, we are joined by Professor Michael Rich from Harvard University to discuss his latest research on the impacts of screens and the digital world on young people. Also joining the conversation to give a young person's perspective is Year 12 student Evelyn Fechner. This talk was recorded online as Sydney was still in lockdown with Professor Rich in Boston and Parsi and Evelyn in their respective homes.
1: Digital media and technologies are an important part of our lives. We are using some of them right now when you listen to me and I talk to you. We both know that all these digital devices have changed the way we live every day. In this Sydney Opera House conversation conversation, we try to understand better the, the scope of consequences digital te- media and technologies have on young people. My name is Pasi Salberg, and I am your host in this conversation. The Sydney Opera House sits on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land. I pay my respects to elders, past, present, and those emerging, and I want to extend my respects to all First Nations listeners of this episode. Well, I have two amazing guests uh, here with me, of course, with a little help from technology. Evelyn Beckner is year 12 student from the Northern beaches of Sydney from Gurigai country. Like most 17 year old, olds, she has grown up in a digital world with access to a wide range of technologies throughout her education and personal use of social media. Michael Rich is an associate professor of pediatrics at Harvard University and practices adolescent medicine at Boston Children's Hospital. Michael, who is also known as the Mediatrician, is the founding director of the Clinic for Interactive Media and Internet Disorders that is the first evidence-based medical program addressing physical, mental, and social health issues associated with digital technology. And Michael is joining us uh, in Boston, United States. Welcome both to this conversation. And let me take the big question first before we say anything else. And you you both know that there is this uh, polarized dichotomy around whether digital media technologies are good for us or whether they are actually doing harm for us. Many tech companies and entertainment industry play defense, saying their own things. And on the other side, those who are concerned about our kids' health and well-being are in offense. It is a big debate, I must say. So, can we solve this debate before we say anything else? And I would like to, I would like to um, invite you, Evelyn, um, first to say, how do you? How do you see this this big question from your point of view?
2: I mean, I definitely understand both sides a hundred percent, and you know, big media corporations are trying to protect themselves and keep themselves successful, so you know, fair enough. But um, I definitely sway more towards the side of that it's dangerous. I think media use sort of, like, encapsulates our whole life, or at least for my generation. Like, it's everything that we do. Um, And so I think definitely sometimes it's hard to get away from that, and I think that's the whole point of it to some degree. Like, I think um, it's definitely impacted mental health as much as we don't want to admit it. (laughs) I think we've been pushing back against um, our parents and just older generations in general when we say that because we don't want to lose our technology in a way. But um, I definitely think that's the case. And I think further research is beginning to show that as well. So that's what I think.
1: <laughs> Michael, I know that you have been working on this uh, this question uh, with young people and, and scholars. What What's your view?
3: I think it is neither good nor bad. In fact, it is neutral. Um, it, is, it is a tool, a very powerful tool. Um, and just as a shovel is a tool that you can dig up a field and plant it, you can also bash someone over the head and kill them with it. Um, and I think that w- instead of us pointing to technology as the problem and blaming it on the technology, let's look at ourselves. Um, as a wise cartoon philosopher, Pogo, once said, we have met the enemy and he is us. And that's really true. It's what we do with these powerful tools that matter. So the same exact social media tool that can draw people together to change the world can also be used to bully people, to to demean them, um, to separate us and divide us from each other. Um, So I think that the research shows it works in both directions, uh, but it works in both directions because of what we do with it. And I think that this idea of being able to come to a binary right or wrong, good or bad answer to what is in fact a very complex and nuanced system um, is really you know, a false choice. And, and we have to step away from that. And Evelyn said something very telling. And she said, it's all around us. It's, and we want to keep it. We have to start looking at technology not as vectors of help or harm, but as the environment in which we live. It's the air we breathe. And frankly, for Evelyn, it's the only air she's ever breathed. Um, And so whether it's good or bad, she's got to live with it. And she's got to figure out how to live and be the person she wants to be in it. And um, that's going to be an ongoing task because you think it surrounds us now. uh, Facebook and Roblox and other major companies are now talking about creating the metaverse, creating the digital metaverse that basically unites all these separate apps, all these separate platforms into a single space um, that is accessed through a virtual reality or augmented reality. and which we will never leave.
1: But, you know, I'm, I'm hearing both of you actually saying that we are perhaps focusing too much on the hours and minutes that we spend on screens and with these technologies and too little about, you know, really understanding what goes on what happens when we are using these things. And, you know, during this p- pandemic and lockdown, we all know that without these technologies all these screens around us, we wouldn't have been able to do much of the things that we're able to do. So so do, do we, should we, in these conversations, actually talk more about what is happening, what we do and, and how this environment is affecting us rather than try to figure out the the screen time uh, recipe or, <laughs> or limits for for different people? What do you think?
3: I I would argue that the screen time and screen time limits are an obsolete concept. I study this stuff and I couldn't possibly tell you how much screen time I have in a day or yesterday or even today, because we have screens in virtually every built environment we're in. We have them in our pockets. We have them on our wrists. Um, You know, we this is now a part of this environment, as I said. And I think that the concept of screen time as if there is some point at which it stops being good and all of a sudden becomes toxic is really an artifact, a remnant from the era of television. When we had a television in one room of the house where we would gather together and watch it um, or even sit alone in front of it, but that it was a discrete experience. Now we have screens all around us. And so we have to think of it in a different way. And it really is ultimately about the content we're accessing on the screens and the context in which we access it. So something that can be very good, like FaceTiming with your best friend that you haven't seen, you know, who's across the country, works fine as long as it's not in the middle of the night when you should be sleeping or at the dinner table or when your mom or dad is trying to talk to you. Um, And so I think that context and content really need to take the fore here. And the one place that the time we spend on screens really matters is that we should be mindful of what we are not doing because we're on a screen. In other words, we often go to a screen as a default behavior um, when we, quote, can't think of anything else to do. And we may be giving up an opportunity to take a walk with a friend. We may be giving up an opportunity to just stop and look at a beautiful sunset. Um, we may before. be, absolutely. I One of my pet sort of projects is I think we have to bring back boredom because boredom is where creativity and imagination happen.
1: So Evelyn can you speak a little bit about your your experience of your use of technology and and uh, and tell us also Michael and myself are we completely out of the map when we're talking about these things like this?
2: I mean, I don't know if my generation will hate me for this or not, but I completely agree with Michael. I 100% do. I think that um it's almost scary to me that sometimes I spend so much time on technology that I get bored like I spend so much time I don't know on Instagram or so much time watching a show that I'm like I'm bored of this now but because it's such a default behavior like you said I don't know what else to do and like I used to be an avid reader when I was younger like primary school age I was in the books but now I'm like I can get the gratification from reading a book in seconds just by going on technology and so I think that's kind of scary to me I think that's why it's so powerful and why it's so controlling I think it's also important like Michael said again that we have to look at like the opportunity cost of using technology I've definitely missed out on activities or a beautiful sunset or like you know Going for a quick walk because I've been like, oh, one more episode, or I've been, let's finish watching this, or let's respond to a friend. And I think even when people of all ages do get to watch that pretty sunset or do get to go to the beach, we have to document it. Like, we can't just sit there and appreciate it. We, like, I have a nice view of the sunset, I think, and every night I go out and I look at it, but then I'm like, okay, it's just a sunset, or if it is a really beautiful one, I I feel the need to send it to my friends, even though it's like there's a sunset every night. (laughs) Like, I don't think they need to specifically see it. But I think um, with technology, it is the only life I've known. Like, even though I grew up with just a TV, I didn't really have any other technology, it was still there. Like, my my parents didn't grow up with TVs. They only got that when they were older. It's been difficult to learn use of technology because I've been in my developmental stages I've been trying to navigate life and navigate technology at the same time and so I think it's really difficult for my generation and the generations after until we figure out a solution per se growing up in this world because we're all trying to figure it out together. It's not something that you earn when you reach a certain age or a responsibility in that sense. It's just difficult. I think it has learnt with it has helped with school a little bit. But um now since I can get the information that quick, I don't actually have like that thirst for learning that I want to have because I can just search it up and it comes up in a pre-made box on my screen for me. So I think it's helped in some ways for me, but it's also impacted my social life in both positive and negative ways. But I don't, it's a difficult one that we're trying to still solve. So I,
3: I, w- I would say that it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, That we, you know, we and we have to accept the fact that it will always be a work in progress. What we're dealing with here is three moving targets. The first being the developing human from infancy through childhood, through adolescence to adulthood. The second being the rapidly evolving environment, the digital environment, that is both affecting that development and reflecting that development. And the third piece is the change in all of our behavior because we have smartphones in our pockets and smartwatches on our wrists. And one of the things that you brought up, Evelyn, that I think is really important is that sense that now that we have the technology that can bring up any bit of information in a box instantaneously, we've gotten a little bit lazy in terms of actually learning stuff and what i mean by actually learning stuff is the old fashioned learn a poem you know and and be able to recite it or figure out photosynthesis and be able to write it out on a in a exam booklet and you know learn how to study how ants build an anthill or something of that nature because we have instant easy access to it we also don't retain that stuff. And what that means is we don't have the building blocks of new ideas in our head. We we just assume that it's all in our ectopic brain, the Google brain, right? And what's missing there is this sense of reflective thinking, this sense of what if, and what, let's try this and let's experiment with that. Um, and, and I think that unless we're very careful about nurturing that we will lose that uh, capability and frankly the workshop for that kind of reflective thinking is boredom yeah <laughs>
1: yeah Michael I, I want to bring in another aspect here and and uh, this comes from our joint work uh, on the growing up digital that you have been leading leading there and I, we've been doing here for, for a couple of years now in Australia and one of the one of the interesting findings uh, in that study is that it's not only young people uh, that are distracted and, and affected, but it's everyone. And uh, like in our survey, uh, 90% of parents uh, who responded to that said that they, they feel that they are kind of addicted or, or distracted by, by the presence of digital media and technology. And and this, of course, kind of raises the question that how can it then get any better if everybody is in this this situation together and Evelyn probably when you look at the adults your teachers or parents you see the same thing that you know some of them are saying that you know put your device away and go to bed and do this and they do exactly the same things themselves and uh, so, so you, <laughs> I see that you know Michael you were talking about this kind of a complex problem that we try to solve by using binary solutions and this is this is kind of adding to this complexity but but you know what what should we do i'm i'm kind of erasing this for all of us here that you know you know if it's true that we all experience this distraction and and but of course the the positive things um that comes with the with the technology but what should we do like how should we move forward when when it's not only about teenagers or adolescents or kids because it's about
3: uh, all of us any anyone want to take this evelyn will love this but one of the kind of subversive questions i ask my patients when their parents are out of the room is what can your parents do better and almost invariably the first thing out of their mouths is pay more attention to me you know really listen to me really look at me and the parents of course are thinking My kid never says anything. My kid is sullen. My kid is sulking. My kid is not not there for me. My kid doesn't want anything to do with me. And the kid is desperately wanting their attention. And that's why I talk also about context is that when a parent and a child are talking and the parent responds to every ping on their phone. The kid knows that they're not being paid attention to. They know that they're not being heard. They feel abandoned by it. I also think there is the issue of modeling here, um, because kids listen to about 1% of what we say and 100% of what we do. Um, and so if we are demonstrating to them that being an adult means being distracted by your smartphone that's what they're going to go to. And then the flip side of it, of course, is that Evelyn is way more hip and adept in the digital space than you and I ever will be. Let's face facts, right? And one of the downsides of making it bad or good is, you know, that parents will say, turn that off, that silly video game or that whatever it is you're doing. And the kids say, this is mine. And what it does is it makes it so that digital media is like rock and roll that I like even more because mom and dad don't understand it and don't like it. Right. So this is my thing. And so um, I, I think that we have to be very careful as adults to be present in our children's digital lives and to talk to them about it and be their student. Let them teach us what that video game is that they love so much and why they love it. And maybe then at the end of it, you can say, okay, I finally figured out how to beat up hookers and, and steal cars. Um, (laughs) now maybe we can talk a little bit about why we might want to do that over and over again and rehearsing. Right. And you're coming from a very different place then when you say that.
1: Evelyn, how how do you see the adult world uh, as a role model for you? (laughs) I mean, uh,
2: yeah, it's definitely the, the actions speak louder than words, I guess. And, um, Growing up digitally, I know that personally, if I choose to have kids or with my sister's kids or whoever, I know I'm not gonna let them touch an iPad or a computer until they need it for school or for safety reasons. I don't want them to have it at all. And I know that it like it actually annoys me when I don't know how difficult it is to be a parent because I'm obviously seven I'm seventeen, I'm still in high school, you know, but like I think It's it's good
1: fun, Evelyn. Just try
2: it. (laughs) (laughs) No, not not, not right away.
3: Not not yet, yet. later (laughs) Um,
2: But, like, I find it frustrating when, you know, I'm at the supermarket or wherever and there's a kid crying and to calm the kid down, the parent hands them a phone. And I'm just, like, I find it really, like, frustrating that we're using it as, like, a soothing device, like, as a distraction because, like, you learn so much as an infant about the world around you, you know. But so I'm not letting them touch technology and I want to, rather than, you know, give them a phone to be quiet or go on my phone when I'm having downtime, I want to try and actively, like, you know, read a book or go, let's go play with puzzles out in the backyard or something like that. Because so, I think that it's super important to do that. And I think definitely it is a bit frustrating when, when I was younger, obviously I know a bit better now, but when I was probably 13, 14, 15, when you're like, there's all the drama at school with friends and it's cool to be on your phone all the time and stuff, I found it really frustrating when my parents would go, Leave your phone downstairs, like, don't bring it up into your room. And then I'd see my mum or whatever like scrolling Facebook for hours or I'd see my dad on his phone while we're watching TV. So I found it like a bit hypocritical. It's difficult when your parents are telling you one thing and doing the other thing. I mean, to some degree, it's no fault of their own because, I don't know, technology is addictive. It's a new toy. Like, you know, we're still learning about it. But it is definitely really frustrating. But we're all trying to figure it out together, I suppose.
1: But Michael, you must, you must hear these stories every day.
2: Yeah, Uh, all
3: the time. I I, I can't wait (laughs) until Evelyn's parents actually hear what she just said. (laughs) I
2: mean, (laughs) I I definitely tell them.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think one of the wonderful things I was busy clapping silently for Evelyn as she spoke, because she is instinctually using these tools as power tools. And she's really getting the idea that you don't use them as a reward for good behavior. You don't use them as a punishment in taking them away for bad yeah. behavior, unless they are abusing that tool. And most especially, you don't use them as the electronic pacifier. You don't use them to calm kids down. And um, when you know parents will say to me, "But he never shuts up until I give him the phone," I say. You could use heroin to calm him down, too, but there might be some downsides to that. Right. And and so but but it's to really put it in context that just because it works to achieve a short term goal does not mean that there may be longer term implications of that use.
1: Yeah but but let's let's face this it's it's easy to easy to say these things uh, that we have been saying about you know controlling and limiting the use of technology but you know like this time uh, around the world when we have had lockdowns and schools have been closed and Many people work from home and you may have everybody with their own devices. It's very difficult and very hard to, you know, even be a good role model. And, you know, I experienced that the other day. I'm doing most of my work with the screen and I have two primary school kids here at home. And I, I tried, they both have their computers from from the school and you know they're supposed to spend hours and hours doing their kind of school work and you know we try to t- tell them about these things of you know being reasonable with the time they use with the with the computer and and what they do there and then the other day my older boy came to me and said but you you are you are staring at this digital screen all day long and, and you know I try to explain what I do with this that you know I'm, I'm doing my emails I'm writing my stuff and you know teaching my students uh, like this but it's it must be very hard for children to understand what's the difference between you know the adults doing this work with this technology and, and, and devices and them not being allowed to play or entertain themselves. So, Michael, you, you're the one who is paid to give advice and, and help people. What would you say, tell to somebody who is listening to this now and say that, you know, I have kids at home and they all need to do their things. I'm, I'm powerless. There's nothing I can do to, you know, even try to control what's going on. Um, and of course, you know, this is a, a very extraordinary period of time when when we are relying more and more on these devices. But is, is there any any like a simple things that we could consider in a situation that is going kind of a like getting out of the hands?
3: Well, I think for first thing we have to acknowledge is how phenomenally this technology has allowed us to weather this extraordinary event of a pandemic, of a global pandemic. If this had happened even 10 years ago, we would not have weathered it so well. We would have had to make the hard choice of, do we just take the chance of getting infected or do we basically stop education, stop commerce, stop any kind of progress until it goes away? Amazing things have happened because of these technologies. But I think one of the biggest issues that we have is it's too easy for parents to fall into the pattern of what I'm doing with my emails and writing my papers and doing all this is important. What you're doing is silly, right? What you're doing doesn't matter. We have to remember that play is the work of childhood play is the place where kids figure out the way the world works just as much as they do by you know reading books and by um, learning maths and learning science um, they figure out the world by the games they play and one of the really interesting things that has happened during this pandemic that our research has shown us is that, while the schools have done a reasonably good job, and I'll leave it to you, Pazzi, to give them a grade on it because you're the expert in education. They've done a reasonably good job of the information transfer part of schooling, the learning of you know didactic things like math and science and et cetera. The place that they did not even really attempt, at least in the United States, to address is the equally important social-emotional learning that goes on in school, where kids are, for the first time in their lives, not a representative of a family, but an individual where she or he is making their way in the world and figuring out their place in society, figuring out who they like and who they don't like and how they should express it, how you negotiate things, how you win and lose, uh, and you know a, a thousand things about what they call the soft skills of being a human. Um, and and being a human in this world. And they're making big choices like, am I going to be a good human or a bad human? Am I going to be a kind human or a, competi- a, a, comp- a competitor? And do I see kind people as weak in that competition? Um, all of that stuff. Interestingly, what we found happened is that the kids did that social emotional learning that they would have done in the playground or the lunchroom in Roblox, in Minecraft, in even Fortnite. When I talk to kids about what they're doing in their games, they don't talk about it as, oh, I won or I scored this much or I killed this many zombies or whatever. They said, I'm hanging out with my friends, right? And so I think we have to take that very seriously that what they are doing there is equally important. It's certainly important to them. And that's why I encourage parents to do two things. Number one is in the lockdown, I encourage parents who are working from home have their child work right beside them at the dining room table, um because then they are modeling that behavior. They're also there to monitor the child and interact with them. The other thing I say, even pandemic or no pandemic, is instead of being concerned about or yelling at or telling your kid to turn off that video game, sit down next to her or him and play it with them. You will get beaten badly by your child. <laughs> Um, And some really, really good things happen there. Number one, this poor kid who constantly hears, you know, work harder, run faster, jump higher, do better from their parent is saying those things to their parent. So you've reversed the roles of of the mentor and the mentee. And then the parent can actually really understand what draws this child in, what excites them. But they also can come to the child with their supposedly mature executive functions of impulse control and future thinking and all of that and say something like, okay, now, you know, I figured out how to shoot terrorists. Let's talk a little bit about why that might be something we want to rehearse over and over again. So you're coming from a very different place as, as the student, as the Padwan, as the Jedi warriors would say.
1: Hey, Evelyn, <laughs>
3: Evelyn, what do you, what do you hear Dr. Michael saying to us?
2: I don't know. I think on the point of the, kids learning those soft skills online now I think it's a really difficult one because I think all those negotiations all those I don't know disagreements or drama that would happen in the playground it used to just be left there like it, it, you left school and it stayed in the playground you come back I don't know a few days later the next week and it's just kind of resolved you just avoid said person like you know but now it goes online as well I think that is a big struggle, obviously, because, you know, like the argument never ends. Everyone always has something to say about it after the fact and I think that definitely needs to change. I don't know how you would fix it though, but um, I think that is a big issue and um, I think all the tips for working with children with technology, I know I've had some good moments with my parents, particularly my father, when we've been playing like an online game together and we try and like meet up like, you know, in the game and then complete it together sort of thing. And we work together. And so I think whilst that's great, it's all about balance you know like you need to for anything you can spend time on your phone with friends playing a video game particularly in this time but then you also need to go out and play handball with them on the weekend you know you can't just do one or the other I think if you spend too much time online like I know a lot of kids like I don't know early high school end of primary school they have their first boyfriend or girlfriend through the internet not necessarily in a dangerous way it could just be someone from another school or someone in their grade but they don't actually talk in person and then they go oh let's meet up tomorrow behind the bathroom buildings and hang out you know like rather than just having the conversations in person and so I think you need to have the balance like of anything like you know too much chocolate is bad but also eating like going for too many runs is too bad on your body as well you know I think you need to learn the skills in real life and then you can take them online whereas I feel bad for the COVID generation like the young children growing up In COVID because that's the only thing they know. They only know the skills online and they've got to apply it to being in person. So I think um, if with anything, like I think we need, like children need to understand that like there is a real world, I think, but the most you can do is it's like with healthy eating, the most you can do is show them the pyramid and say, you know, you should have maybe a few extra vegetables than ice creams they've got to put it in practice themselves they've got to learn over time I get a stomach ache from having too much ice cream and then they might go out and pick a piece of fruit rather than a chocolate bar you can only help them through modeling and education like parent parental modeling and education oh it's it's a hard one
1: Yeah, My- Michael, I can I can hear Evelyn speaking about what what you have labelled uh, digital wellness. That it's about learning to live with this new world and and this emerging world as as, as well. And you are leading the digital wellness lab there in in, in Boston. Uh, c- can you say a little bit more about the this this idea of digital wellness uh, in this conversation before we we are coming to an end of the conversation? So it's time also for the kind of a final final comments that you want to uh, tell to the listeners here.
3: Well, I think. Evelyn just touched on some very key aspects of digital wellness. Um, one being the idea that um, with the online social emotional learning, it, it sometimes can never end. Right, that that it doesn't. When you leave the playground, it doesn't stop. It continues, and that sets kids up for some real problems. Which you know, with cyberbullying and things like that, where they feel they have no escape, they have no refuge, um, and so she also spoke to the fact of um, that we have to learn to limit those. we have to learn to um, cha- you know leave that playground. Um, and there's some unique features of the online space such as the asynchronous quality of it that what you're doing is not in real time and often is not in a t- time or place where you can actually, read the, the responses of that other person if you've hurt their feelings or you know, something that you feel was a joke um, to them was an insult or was was hurtful. Um, so I think that these are all things we need to learn. And we need to learn, and this is something she alluded to very accurately, We need to learn to transfer the skills we learn in the online space, To offline and vice versa. We need to be able to move between these two environments because not only is there going to be a metaverse at some point in our future, um, but that the younger generation, Evelyn, already moves seamlessly between the online and offline space. And so, a, a couple of things. I think digital wellness is learning to live well in both physical and the digital world. And what I mean by that is, Physically well, so getting up from your seat and and exercising from time to time. Um, Mentally well, as in learning to take care of oneself and others in that space to, you know, uh, raise children to be kind as well as smart and socially well in the sense of understanding how to connect with each other. And one of the studies that we've done, in some ways, looping back to that big data study you alluded to at the beginning that said with the rise of social media, um, uh, there's been a rise of anxiety and depression. We have actually measured in real time the affective states, the happiness, sadness, nervousness, etc., of young people when they are using screens, when they are texting, um, when they are doing voice or video calls, when they're doing social media and when they're face to face. And what we have found, interestingly, is that when they're texting, there's really no change in their affect. What we believe this means is that they're texting all the time. So it's it's sort of a wash. But when they are doing social media, their sadness and uh, their negative affect rose, When they were doing voice or video calls, those dropped. And when they were face-to-face, their positive affect rose. And so one of the things that I recommend to my patients, kids now, is when you're thinking of getting together with a friend, always upgrade by one. So if you're thinking of tweeting text, if you're thinking of texting, call them. If you're thinking of calling them, get together face-to-face. And yes, it is more challenging. Yes, it is potentially more awkward in person than to do a call or to text them. But as I remind my patients, you can't make out with a smartphone. So you got you to gotta develop those skills um, You know, in, in the real space. So I I think that this is a really important thing. It's to let's upgrade our human relationships by one at least.
1: Right. So last uh, thoughts, Uh, Evelyn, uh, we we spoke about, you spoke about digital wellness nicely. What are you, what are you going to do with your own digital wellness?
2: Um, Well, I think I only am, I only have these views because I've become a bit more self-aware of my actions. I have, become a lot more self-aware of my screen time and everything. Um, I mean, I still don't necessarily always act in the way, like in a good way, but I think um, I've had days where I've just left my phone in, I don't know, a room and I've spent hours off of it because I've been with my sibling or I've been with a friend. Like, you know, we've gone to the beach, you don't need your phone at the beach, you know? And so I think I'm trying to use it a lot less as downtime, even if it is just watching a movie. Or trying to not use it in my room. Like if I'm going to watch a movie, I should go out and watch it on Netflix, on the TV, in the shared space. So I think digital wellness comes with a lot of self-regulation, like self-soothing almost. I'm glad that my closest friends in person are also my closest friends online. And so there's not there's always an overlap with that. So I'm glad that I don't have to, you know, there's no awkwardness or, you know, faking conversation or, you know, the best way for me to help my digital wellness is to just leave it. Like, just think about it logically. Go, is this person going to be so upset if I don't reply to a picture of their face within the next 10 minutes? Like, I don't need to do that if it's that important everyone has my phone number if it's that important I can message them back later but I think it's a self-awareness and self-regulation and just understanding okay I've spent 20 minutes already on Instagram there's not much more to say so I can just leave it I should go read a book or I should go make a nice meal or walk take my dog for a walk around the block Because it's a nice day. I can go on my phone anytime, but the weather's not always going to be this nice. I think you just need, like I was saying before, opportunity cost and the self-awareness, self-regulation. Just, It's always going to be there. (laughs) It's always going to be there.
3: Wonderful. Michael, how's your digital wellness? What are you going to do about that? I'm going to follow Evelyn's lead. She's, She's got it down. She's got it figured out. And what I love about it is that she's also described from her own experience how um basically the the maturation of the human brain kind of takes care of it as, as if you remain aware i mean she described how she behaved when she was 13 14 and 15 all those so many years ago you know when she was just young Three years right? ago,
2: wow. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly
3: um and and uh, you know it's remarkable how Um, rapidly and thoroughly the human brain evolves during adolescence. And and so I think, you know, she's got it. And that is really what we need to be conscious of. And you know, the key word here is self-awareness and that translates into self-regulation. And um, while we have, through this digital revolution, been focused on developing killer apps, one of the things I want to do is develop killer bees. And those are, be balanced in our use of the media and our putting down of it and going to see that sunset, to be mindful in our use not only of the digital media, but our use of the other experiences in life. And most important, be present. Be present with and for each other, um, particularly parents and children, but with any relationship that matters. Um, One of the real um, seductions, really, of these technologies is that it's too easy to let this near infinite connectivity undermine our connectedness with each other, our deep and sustaining and meaningful connectedness as humans, which ultimately is, you know, the goodies of why we're on this earth is what we share with other people. Um, and oftentimes that is something that is just sitting in silence and being bored together.
1: Wonderful. Evelyn Beckner, Michael, Rich, thank you so much for joining me in this, uh, this conversation. This has been the Sydney Opera House conversation on Growing Up Digital. Thank you for, for listening and um, check the website. There will be resources for you if you want to learn more about our work and, and this topic here in Australia and beyond. Thank you very much. <music>
0: That was Parsi Salberg speaking with Professor Michael Rich and Evelyn Fechner. Special thanks to Professor Salberg for curating this series of urgent conversations about the education sector. That brings this three-part series to a close, but we'll be back again soon with more ideas at the house.